0: Good morning, Crestview family. Thank you for coming to worship with us this morning. We are glad to have you here. I'm thankful to be here this morning. Uh, If you're a guest or a visitor with us for the first time, we're especially glad to have you here. Um, There are some cards in the pews that you can fill out that say visitor on them. we just like to get to know you a little better. Um, As uh, we go through this week, I just want to remind you... um, I just want to remind you a few things. Um, we are still; we are, things are start picking back up, and I promise you, there'll be more than you can do before it gets to it again. It seemed like we were so busy over Christmas, and uh, there was so many things going on during the week that uh, we kind of take a little breath now, and uh, we're getting caught back up. We're getting back into this new year. Uh, just don't forget about our Wednesday night services. Um, our kids and youth meet down in the building at 6.30. Yes. And our youth and our youth and children meet down there. Our kids and our youth. And our adults, they meet up here at uh, 6.30 for Bible study. Um, also, don't forget, um, it's coming close to that first Saturday of the month again. That uh, all-you-can-eat breakfast. And we weren't able to have it uh, this past month due to... Um, the chance of weather, and they didn't want to risk it, so it was canceled. The breakfast, but it will pick back up February third. So if you could come out to that, um, come on out. It's a it's a good time of fellowship, and it's a good time to stuff your belly. It's good food. Um, I do not think there are any more announcements, unless anybody has any. Uh, if not, um, Arnie has asked me to. Uh, open us up in prayer this morning, so if everyone would just bow our heads and we go to the Lord in prayers, we begin worship. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for um, the warm houses that we get to sleep in in this, in, in this cold weather and the, the food on our table and the, when we walk when we step outside and we walk from our car to the building, we say it's so cold, but I'm just so grateful for the shelter that you provide for us. Lord, thank you for this church, for a place to come and worship you on a Sunday morning with a family of of believers, people who who we love, people who we enjoy seeing, enjoy talking to. Lord, I pray as we start our service today that it's your will and your work that's done. Nothing that I want to do or Artie wants to do or Sandra wants to do that everything we do Lord is, is for you 100% Lord I know there's lots of sicknesses going around and uh, people in our church in need and I, I see uh, and I just notice you know people are, are missing because of sickness and things and I just pray that in each one of those situations Lord that, you, that they feel your presence, they feel your breath and they feel your touch and they just know that you are God. And you are the God of all situations, good or bad. And just to remember, just to put it all in your hands. I pray for healing where healing is need. I pray for relationships where uh, hurt is and where people are feeling alone, and they just turn to you for their relationships and those relationships, Lord. Lord, just once again, as we dive into this service, I just want to pray that everyone in here is open to the Spirit, open to worshiping you. Lord, I love you and I praise you, and I ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: Would you stand as we sing our call to worship? There's something about that name, page 177. And remember, as we are singing this, God gave Jesus his name, and he said that his name was above all other names. So let us worship as we sing. There's something about that name. as we give back to God, giving of our gifts, tithes, and offerings. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for our many blessings. You just give over and over and over to us. So I pray now that you'll take this gift and that you'll bless the gift and the giver and use it so that others will know your blessed name. Lord, is your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you stand again as we sing our hymn of praise, page 206, Blessed Be the Name, 206.
2: be. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name name of the Lord, amen, thank you,
0: get all the kids to come forward I'm using this this morning because my mic was out in the building it's too cold to go out there this morning so <laughs> so I uh all right guys I got a question I got something I got some &ms let's let's see what I can find let's see i got a I got a brown and an orange and a blue and a green and You know what? There's a red and a yellow in there, too, that I can't get my fingers on. Got a question. What's your favorite color, Eminem? Well, I can't ask everybody right now, but let's see. Let's start with Tucker. What's your favorite color, M&M? Blue. All right. Uh, Sadie, what's your favorite color, M&M? Blue. Somebody else. Let's see. Brax, what's your favorite color, MM? Yellow. Yellow. All right. So it's Sadie and Tucker like blue, blue M&M's and you like yellow M&M's, which one is better? Why? They're neither one are better. Why? Wow. what's going on with the M&M's? M&M's taste the same on the inside, right? So we're going to talk about us today and how we're kind of like M&M's. I want you to look around, look beside you, look all around. Do you see anybody that looks exactly like you? If just you're, your sibling, it doesn't count. Uh, So, um, nobody, even if your sibling looks a little bit like you, nobody looks exactly the same. We have different color eyes, different color hair, some people's skin is darker than the other, some people have freckles, but guess what? We're all the same on the inside, right? Um, I want to share you a verse. Psalm 139, 14 says this. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. God made each and every one of us different. If the world looked the same, if everybody in the world looked the same, it would be a really boring world that we live in. And so God created us different. We all have different things that we like. We all have different things that we that we different features about our body but guess what I want you to on an M&M there's something on the front of it what's on the front of an M&M on every M&M there's an M on the front of it and so as different as they all are they all have that same mark and when we have Jesus Christ and we can be all different on the outside but we all, we all, by the way we act, by the way we love, by the way we treat others, people can look at us and know that we're M&M's. People can look at us and know that we're followers of God, or they should be able to, by the way we act, right? And then, on the inside, it's all chocolatey and sweet, and God wants us to be all sweet on the inside, and He wants us to... Go out and share what he's given us with other people. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Yeah. And so we're going to talk more about that. I got some more verses, and I got some M&Ms to share. So, all right, so let's bow our heads, and I'm going to have you guys sit down until we go to Children's Church, okay? God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for these boys and girls. Thank you for our differences. Thank you for uh, the exciting world that we live in That even though we all have similar things, similar things about us, that we all have different personalities and different things that make us unique. And thank you for Jesus Christ that even through all those differences, once we have Jesus in our heart, we all have that in common. And thank you for loving us the way you do and help us to go out into the world And just like those M&Ms are sweet, help us to go out into the world and share your sweet love with everybody else everywhere we go. All this I ask in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen.
3: Thank you, choir. As the children all go out, let me just share with you, there's times, and I've shared this with you before, there are times that as God has given me a sermon to share, that I end up preaching to myself as I'm preparing, God's working on me, and as I'm And this is one of those cases where I'm going to be preaching to myself as much as I am preaching to you. God is speaking to me the same way I hope that God speaks to you. I will also share this with you. The reason Chad prayed for us an opening is because Satan does not want me to preach this message this morning. You're like, well, wait a second, Artie. How do you know that Satan doesn't want you to preach it? Because I could not find my sermon notes. The notes that I had printed that as I was going through on Friday, because I print my sermon notes. I send them to Sandra, I send them to the interpreters in Tara. And I send them to a couple other people. I usually do that on Wednesday. I was sick Wednesday. So I sent it to them Thursday. Sandra knew which direction I was heading. She had the scripture. She had the title. Everything like that. She knew where we were heading. I came in Friday. And as I was preparing the slides, God kept working with me and I kept changing points in the sermon. Rewording them. Making them different. God was just moving and I was handwriting on those notes. Could not find them anywhere. I am in my office digging through the trash can trying to find these notes. Could not find them. So I started to print my sermon notes again. And my printer quit on the, with one page left to print. It would not. It kept giving me an error message. I could not get them printed. So I ran into Nancy's office and I printed on the computer in Nancy's office and I get back in my office and guess what's sitting on the printer? The notes that would not print. So I grab them up and I rush in here and I'm going through them and I'm trying to remember all the handwritten stuff and I'm writing them down as the choir is singing and as Chad is doing the children's sermon. But I'm going to tell you what. If Satan is that dead set against me preaching this sermon... God has something in store for us. So I'm going to preach. I'm going to do my best. And I'm going to pray that God just speaks and everything just flows. So, today, we're going to continue the series on the seven messages or seven letters to his church by looking at the very first one, the church of Ephesus. And before we read this scripture, you have to remember the church of Ephesus is literally the only one of these churches that was started by the direct ministry of Paul. Paul went there and Aquila and Priscilla was there in Ephesus. Timothy came from the church of Ephesus and even ministered in the church of Ephesus. This was a vibrant church. This was a big church. They were committed in this church. The thing that makes Ephesus so important is that it was a vital city for trade and commerce during this time. Not only that, but it had at that time the, one of the largest temples made, built. And it was the temple to the goddess Diana or Artemis there in Ephesus. And they would have temple prostitutes that they would go in and visit as part of their worship of the Princess Diana. And so that is the kind of thing that was going on in this city and this church grew up in that. Despite of everything going on, God did an amazing work in the lives of these, these Christians in Ephesus. And by their ministry, by their lives, and from people coming to know Christ through the efforts there in Ephesus, all the rest of these seven churches were started by people leaving there and going back to their homes and starting churches where they came from. So just remember that. Now if you turn to... Revelation chapter 2, we're going to look at the first seven verses. This is the the letter to the church of Ephesus. So if you would stand as I read this, Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And in my Bible, I have the red letter edition. If you've got a red letter edition, you will notice that everything that I am reading is in red, which means that it is coming directly from Jesus Christ Himself. The words of Jesus. "...to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot endure evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, And they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance, and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I am coming to you, and will remove your lampstand out of this place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray. Blessed Heavenly Father, thank You so much for what You've done. Dear Lord, speak to me. Speak to us all. Today, through Your Word, may the Spirit have full control of us today. Please move among Your people. Open our hearts and our ears, dear Lord. Do not allow us to leave this place without knowing that we have heard from God today. And it's in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ, our living Savior, we pray. Amen. So the first thing that we have to know is this. Is that... The first thing that is stressed is Jesus' authority and presence in his church. Jesus' authority and presence in his church. Not just this church, the church in Ephesus, but all churches. Crestview Baptist Church, Jesus has authority and presence in our church. And we have to acknowledge that. Look at Revelation, at at the first verse to the angel of the church in Ephesus write the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands stands says this see this this verse it emphasizes the ultimate authority and immediate presence of Jesus in the church Jesus is in the midst of the church and should be the central focus of the church. Notice what it says. It says that He holds the seven stars in His right hand. And He walks among the seven golden lampstands. When you walk among things, you are there I cannot walk through the aisles of Walmart and being sitting in myself uh, be sitting in my house over on Pleasant Ridge Church Road, can I? The only way I can walk through the aisles of Walmart is to be in Walmart, which I don't recommend a lot. The only way God, Jesus can walk among the seven golden lampstands is He is there with the soul. The, the seven golden lampstands he's there in their presence now this greek word patio that is tra- and I, I know that that's a that's a a hillbilly southern way of saying the greek word please forgive me it tra- is translated it's an emphatic and and complete word it literally means that jesus emphatically and completely holds these seven churches in His hand. It shows that Jesus holds the church securely. There is another verse that tells us once He is in our hand, there is nothing that can take us away from Him. He holds securely the church in His hand. And then it also shows a possession. What is it? Possession is nine tenths of the law. You ever heard that? I don't know if that's true, but I don't want to get caught with some things because. But the what this word literally means that Jesus possesses. He owns. It is his the church. so he has ultimate authority it is his to do with what he wants so just keep that in mind it this it is the ultimate authority and the eternal presence of jesus christ in our church Look at the next verses. Jesus knows the deeds of the church. Jesus knows the deeds of the church. Look at verses 2 and 3. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Jesus did not have to be told what was going on in this church? He did not have to re- be reminded. He knew the condition of his church. He knew the condition of his church. You think about this Jesus tells us that he has numbered the hairs of our head. That's how intimately God knows us. And I've shared with you before the way that is worded and the wording that is used there in the Greek. It literally means an intimate knowledge that He just doesn't know how many hairs we have. It doesn't say that He counted the hairs on our head. It says that He numbered the hairs on my head. Which means that Jim... No, it didn't. Jerry and Cal, or Cal and all you other guys that are follically depressed like I am, when that last hair hit that shower drain, Jesus knew what number of hair that was. Right? You know what I'm talking about. He knew what number that was. Not just that was the last hair, but he knew that was number six million three hundred and fifty-five. He knew the number. That's how intimately Jesus knows us as His children. Jesus knows the same thing about His body, the church. If He knows us intimately, guess what? That means He knows us, the church, intimately. He doesn't have to be told. He knows the condition. He knows Our condition. We cannot hide anything from Him. We may be able to hide stuff from everybody else. But Jesus knows. He knows our deeds, our work, our endurance. He knows everything. All of the good things that we've done. This word and this is not in your note, but this word that is translated um, from the Greek that's perseverance or endurance, it means a steadfast endurance. A steadfast endurance. Well, what does that mean? What's the difference between that? Endurance is you keep going until you, you can't go any further. Steadfast endurance is similar to what it says about the armor of God. Remember in that last verse about the armor of God, it says, and when you have done everything to stand, what is the next words? Stand firm then. That's steadfast endurance. Endurance. Even when you have done everything you can and you have nothing left, you keep going. You don't give up. That's the word that is used here to to describe this endurance of the, of the, 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 the church in Ephesus. Then he says, Talks about doctrinal purity. You cannot tolerate ungodly teaching. And this is a big one. Let me tell you. We cannot allow one ounce of ungodly teaching in our church. Why? Because it doesn't take much to ruin everything. You've heard the saying, give an inch, take a mile. Well, that's what happens with ungodly doctrine being taught. When you bring in anything that is not this, you're asking for problems. And this church in Ephesus Set the example by stressing un, or, or doctrinal purity by not tolerating ungodly people coming in and teaching ungodly messages. And not only that, they tested everybody that came in saying that they were apostles. Someone that was sent from God with a message from God. They thoroughly tested them. We need to do the same thing. We cannot. Now listen, I'm going to tell you, there's several times, and it's happened with me. I know it's happened with my dad. There was a man showed up at my dad's church one day and said, God told me to preach here today. My dad looked at him and said, huh, that's funny. Because he gave me the message to preach here today. So I'm sorry, but I'm preaching. You're not. We cannot. Listen, I have been given a responsibility that's what's preached and taught from this pulpit and what's taught and preached in this church. And I cannot allow somebody to come in and teach or preach that I do not know. Because you don't know what, where they're coming from. You don't know what they're going to say. And we have been given a responsibility as the church to maintain doctrinal purity. And so we have to make sure and we have to thoroughly test those that come in saying they have a message from God. They did that. And this church also, Jesus knew that this church would not give up. Would not stop. Would not give up when facing opposition. Let me tell you, sometimes when you're trying to do the will of God and you're trying to do what God calls you to do, you're going to face opposition. There are going to be times where somebody stands against you and you need to have the faith, the fortitude, and the courage of the Holy Spirit to see that through. Jesus knew that this church did not grow weary in doing what they were called to do for his name's sake. They did not give up. They endured. They kept going. They did not give up in facing opposition. But Jesus knows something's wrong. Jesus knew the hidden problem. You see, from the outside looking at this church in Ephesus, you would say, man, that's the happening church. God is moving there. There are things that are going great there. Everything is hunky dory. But Jesus, the one that knows us intimately knew the hidden problem. Look at Revelation 2:4. But I have this against you that you have left your first love. Well, we got to look at a couple of things here. That first word, but. You guys realize that that word negates everything that came before it. Teenagers love this word. I call it, they're sounding like a bunch of frogs. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. When you're fussing at your teenager, that's what you're going to hear. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. My kids know exactly what I'm talking about because that's, the, that's the, the sound they make. That word but negates everything before it. For instance, I was sitting in a deacon's meeting. Not here. This was when I was a youth pastor at another church sitting at a deacons meeting. The chairman of the deacons proceeds to tell the pastor, don't let it ever be said that I told a preacher what he could and couldn't preach. But... and then proceeded to tell him what he could and couldn't preach. Everything before that but was garbage. It didn't count for anything. Because what comes after the bud is what really is important. This word negates everything that came before it. In other words, what Jesus was saying is that all these, this good that you have done, all these good things, they do not cancel out the bad. We hear it all the time. I can't see that God would send somebody to hell if they rush into a burning building and save a, a baby from a burning building. God couldn't send that person to hell. Well, this is what we've got to understand. Two things. One, the good doesn't cancel out the bad. And God does not send anybody to hell. We do it ourselves. God made a way for us to avoid hell. And if you don't do it that way, guess what? You're going to hell. No matter how much good you did, you can do everything. You can live your life and give away everything that you've got and you can serve the poor and the sick and you can do all the good in the world, but until you come to the point where you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, none of that matters. When you die, it stops. But when you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you do those things, all of that, all that ministering to other people, it has an eternal thing that keeps going on and on and on. Just as Paul, when he went to the church of Ephesus, do you think Paul, the moment he got there in Ephesus, that he knew that from the work he was doing, that there would be seven or six other churches formed from that one church? Probably not. But he knew God had called him to do something, and he did what God called him to do. Why? Because he came face to face with Jesus on the road to Emmaus that one. Or excuse me, on the the the, the I just went blank. Damascus, thank you. I Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus, and that's when he appeared to the disciples that were walking on there, and they didn't recognize him. But on the way to Damascus. And he came face to face with Jesus and his life changed forever because he met his Savior that day. And from that point on, everything that he did had a kingdom building mentality about it. And then, look at the next part of this that you left your first love. Left your first love. Left indicates that it was a deliberate decision to walk away. Can you leave by accident? When you leave this place today, Is it by accident? Or did you mean to walk out the doors, get in your car, turn it on, and pull out of the parking lot? You can do like this. Was that by accident or did you mean to do that? Was that a deliberate decision on your part? To come here today, to leave your homes and come here today. Was that a deliberate decision on your part? You can lose something by accident. I have lost my keys before. Trying to get in my truck, carrying a bunch of things out, and I put my keys on my finger like this when I'm carrying stuff. And I'm on the phone, and I'm like, hang on, I can't find my keys. And I'm looking all over the place for my keys, and they're right there. Trust me, I did not do that on purpose. That was not a deliberate decision on my part to not remember I put my keys on my finger and I did it so I wouldn't lose them. But when I decide to leave, I make a deliberate decision to do that. So what Jesus is saying is that you didn't lose your first love. That this church made a deliberate decision to walk away and turn from their first love. Why is that such a big deal? Think about it this way. This church was a working church. It said so. It was a working church. Did they has this church has the work of the church became the central focus of the church instead of Jesus think about that has the programs has the mission has the thing and this is something that every pastor i know deals with if you ever have a pastor or a preacher that tells you they don't deal with this they are lying Every pastor I know has dealt with this at least once in their ministry. Where the work becomes the important part. Forgetting why and who you're doing the work for. That could be what Jesus is talking about. That they left their first love by making the work the central focus of what's going on in the church the missions, the programs. That became the most important thing instead of Jesus Christ. Then, did, ha, has the commitment to, doctrina- to be doctrinally pure, has that made the church cold and suspicious and intolerant of new people. Now te- let me tell you this. I'm going to ask a question. More times than I can count, I have been told that Crestview Baptist Church is a loving, caring church. Has anybody else heard that about our church in the community? Nobody? Okay. I mean... That's what we were known for. More times than I can count. Oh, I know that church. You guys are really loving. You're caring. People come and visit and they feel like they're part of the family. They loved it. And yes, we have to be committed to doctrinal purity. Standing on the Word of God with no exception. But have we... Or did this church in Ephesus also, did their commitment to be doctrinally pure, did that make them become cold? Unaccepting of new people? That they were afraid they were going to bring in something that was not like it used to be? That the new people were going to change something? Did that make them cold? The one thing that we do know is that there was a definite and sure difference in their relationship with Jesus at this point. Something was missing. Something was missing. They walked away from their first love. They left their first love. but Jesus has a solution. Look at the first part of verse 5. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Remember from where you have fallen. first thing He tells them to do is remember. Remember from where Jesus brought you. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can remember where Jesus brought you from. You can remember what your life used to be and the difference Jesus did in your life. Remember that. As a church, we need to remember from where Jesus brought us. There was a time that this church did not exist. Right? And there was a time where this church had their first meeting. And this church did not even have a building to meet in. They had to use somebody else's property To meet. And then there was a time that you had your first meeting in this building. And there was a time where the fellowship hall and the kitchen used to be where the library and the prayer room and the the preschool class was and where Sandra's office is. That was the fellowship hall and kitchen. And there was a time that God allowed us and led us to build the fellowship hall. And there was a time that God allowed us to build and renovate the youth building that used to be the garage. Remember what Jesus has done. And then there's a second part of that. By remembering he's not only where Jesus has brought us from, but remember how we used to love the Lord and each other. No, you know, during prayer time today, Jackie prayed about realizing that the, when the Bible says God is love, A lot of times that's thrown up to us. And it's usually associated with a rainbow flag and they're saying, well, God is love. That's not what that verse says. Jesus tells us, by this they will know that I have sent you, that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Has the missions, has the programs, has the strive of being doctrinally secure or doctrinally sound, has it caused us to walk away and lose our first love? Have we forgotten what it means to love God and love Jesus and love each other? Let me tell you, there's been times that I have I've been so focused on all the stuff that I have to do as a pastor that I forget that the main calling was to love my people. You know, the, uh, the last thing Mel Campos ever told me or said to me, sitting there in his house, and he didn't live but a few weeks after this, he looked at me and he says, take care of our people. And any time I start having issues, any time I feel like giving up, I remember what Mel told me and that challenge that he gave me. Take care of our people. And as a pastor, it's easy for us to forget that God has entrusted us with a group of people, a group of His children to take care of and to love and nurture. And we forget to do that because we're so busy doing everything else. But Jesus here says, remember. Remember from where you have fallen. Remember how you used to love me. Remember how how you used to love each other. And remember what Jesus has done in your life. Then the second thing He says is to repent. This is a command to change directions of your attitude and your actions. Change. Repent. Not not just say that you're sorry, but literally turn away from it. Change directions of your attitude and your conduct. And then, get back to what you did first. Your first deeds. Your first works. Get back to the basics. Well, what are the basics? (laughs) Love Jesus and love others. Look at this verse. This is Matthew. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you you like how that's capitalized? That's in the Bible that way. That's not me doing that. That's in the Bible that way. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend the whole law and the prophets. The two greatest commandments love God, love others. That is the basics. And we have to get back to that. Jesus is telling this church in Ephesus, get back to that. But he's also telling us that we need to get back to that love God, love others. Everything else is just fluff. Yes, you heard that right. Everything else is just fluff. Is this where the quote? Yeah. You guys know I love Charles Spurgeon. Look what he has to say. As a church, a church has no reason for being a church when she has no love within her heart. Or when that love grows cold, lose love, lose all. We need to get back to the basics. Anything that we do, if we don't do it with the love of Christ, and that love of Christ is not in our hearts, we're going to fail. That's the bottom line. And then Jesus says this, or else, look at the second part of verse 5. Or else, I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Well, what does that mean? Jesus has called us to be light of the world. You know the whole thing, this little light of mine. Jesus says a a city on a hill cannot be hidden. This means that Jesus will remove our light and His presence from us. Then we will become just a gathering of people instead of a church. God will write Ichabod on the doorframe, which literally means the glory of the Lord has departed. Listen, church, that's not me saying it. That's Jesus saying it in His Word. And I'm sorry if you don't like it, but that's what Jesus says if we don't get back to what we did before, our first works, we don't repent, we don't remember, and we don't don't get back to doing what we did before, then He will cause us to stop being a church. And He will remove His glory from this place. He told the church in Ephesus that. And He's telling us that. We'll look at these last two verses. The final words to this letter. Verses 6 and 7. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I used to hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Notice what he says. He doesn't say that he hates the Nicolaitans. Is that they hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Well, who are the Nicolaitans? The Nicolaitans were followers of Nicholas who was one of the first seven deacons voted in in the book of Acts. And they believed that everything was permissible. Similar to what we hear today. That the mercy and grace of Jesus means we can do whatever we want to, and I can drop the F bomb in a prayer and be okay because Jesus' blood covered that. And yes, I have heard that from a preacher, by the way. That was the way the Nicolaitans thought. Look at Acts 6, verses 5 through 6. Then the statement found approval with the whole congregation and those. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Decanar, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And they and these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. The Nicolaitans, like all deceivers that, that come from the body of Christ, claimed that they were not destroying Christianity but that they were presenting a new, improved, and modernized version of it. We have a word for that today. It is called progressive Christianity. Guess what? It is nothing new or modern. It's the same old garbage just in a new wrapper. That's what the Nicolaitans did. And God says, just like me, you hated this. You hated these deeds just like I do. And if it was something that God hated then, how do you think He feels about it now? Now remember, God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So how does God feel about this progressive stuff? This new and modern view of Christianity? That everything is permissible. That that's not really what the Word of God says. How do you think if he hated it then, how does he feel about it now? He still hates it. But you need to notice, he doesn't say he hates the Nicolaitans. He says he hates their deeds. Okay. Then he says, who has an ear, let him hear. This is letter that anybody that hears it, This message is for everybody. And then to him who overcomes. Jesus is seeming to speak to to the, the church in Ephesus and to us telling us that if we overcome the coldness of our heart and the lack of love that has overtaken us and it came from leaving our first love we can overcome that through the grace of God. And if we do that, we have a promise. We have a promise. Church, as I said at the beginning, I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. You guys just got to hear it. As the pastor, I need to get back to that first love. Remembering why I'm even doing this. You guys need to remember why we are a church. We're getting ready to have a business meeting. Yes, there are some things that we're going to discuss that's necessary for a body of believers to discuss. But when it gets down to it, Is that eternal? No. That's the fluff. Our business, the eternal business of the church, is to love God with everything that we've got and love each other. That's the basics. And we need to get back to the re- basics and we need to remember what it means to be a church. What we are called to do, and we cannot do what we're called to do without loving God and loving others. We need to remember that. This is your opportunity to do business with God. That's the invitation. Just listen to what God is telling you and do what He's telling you. As we sing this song, this is your invitation to come and be obedient to God.
1: Would you stand as we sing hymn 210, My Jesus, I Love Thee 210.
3: for being here. I'm going to ask Larry if he'd go ahead and make his way up here. Um, Don't forget, Wednesday night, youth and children's Bible study down in the youth building, adult Bible study in here. We're going to be uh, uh, continuing in chapter 3 of Daniel, looking at the fiery furnace this week. We just talked about how uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego told God they, or told King Nebuchadnezzar that they didn't even need to bother answering him, that uh, it was going to be this way. So just uh, look forward to seeing everybody um, this week. And we do have a, sh- a business meeting uh, immediately following the service. So um, I'm going to ask Doug if he would dismiss us from our service, and Larry if he would come and, and open our business meeting
0: let us pray father we thank you for this day and this time we come together in your house be with us that we take this this message to heart that we know that if we satisfy you we have nothing else to fear so lord be with us as we go into this business meeting and go and go with us as we leave this place to about our our daily lives these things i pray in your name amen